Hello everyone, it's Sara Fayyad from Wise Words. On today's episode, Staro speaks to Muna Murshid. Muna is the president and CEO of Generation You Employed. She's also a partner at McKinsey & Company, where she leads global social responsibility. She has supported education systems and institutions across the Middle East, Asia, United States, Europe, and Latin America to achieve significant and sustainable gains in their education performance. Generation is a global platform that seeks to empower young people to build thriving, sustainable careers and to provide employers with highly skilled, motivated, and talented young people. Muna started Generation for the purpose of connecting education to employability. Generation is also a WISE Awards winner in 2018. During this episode, Stavros and Muna have a very interesting conversation about youth employment and the concept of education to employment. I hope you enjoy this episode. And again, thank you for listening. Mona Murshid, welcome to Wise Words. Thank you. Mona, you're doing some uh, really interesting things right now. You're still officially part of the consulting firm McKinsey & Company, but you're heading up their global social responsibility practice as well as the Generation uh, Initiative. Do you want to say a few words about what those are and, and also explain to us and uh, to the listeners what sort of prompted McKinsey to want to go in this in this direction? Sure, absolutely. So in 2014, McKinsey began having a conversation amongst the leadership about how it could really double down on a set of social impact themes and commit to over multiple years to them. Yeah. And that then gave birth to generation um, because youth employment uh, is a topic that it spans all countries, that it's something where McKinsey had done quite a lot of research. Um, and then lastly, that it's something where McKinsey felt that its network uh, would enable it to be supportive. So if you think of the world's largest employers, many of them have relationships with McKinsey. And so that then led to Generation, and Generation was actually based on uh, research that I'd been leading with a team on education to employment. So in 2015, Generation was born as an independent nonprofit, And so McKinsey, obviously, as the founder, but now Generation has over 30 plus funders okay. across the world in addition to employer partners. So it's, it's sort of separate. It, it sits outside the... Correct. The it sits outside. McKinsey. So it's, it's an independent nonprofit, yeah. um, obviously, with McKinsey as a founder. Yeah. Um, and uh, with regards to the social responsibility hat, so yeah. I, I, I lead social responsibility for McKinsey in terms of how we can improve everything from giving back to the communities in which we work yeah. to responsible business practices. Let, let's focus a little bit on generation. The, the idea here is that this is really trying to fix the, the education to employment link. Say a little bit about what, you know, what, what your earlier work or even the current work is uncovering in terms of, you know, why that link might be broken and how are you attempting, your organization is attempting to fix that? Essentially, when you look around the world, there are upwards of 75 million young people who are unemployed yeah. and three times as many who are underemployed. And yet, when you talk to employers, 40% say they can't find the skills they need for even entry-level positions. Yeah. And so that was really the question that we were looking at a few years ago. Um, and so to try to understand that 
better. We had surveyed education providers, employers, young people, you know, thousands across several countries. And then we actually studied 150 youth employment programs across 25 countries. And what we found is that systematically, although there are great youth employment programs in the world, most of them tend to have a small annual volume in terms of those whom they train and place yeah. in jobs. They can often be expensive, and most of them are focused on a single country. And so we began to ask the question of what would it take to create a program that has high job placement rates, high retention rates on the job, that can truly deliver an improvement in personal and financial well-being for young people, yeah. and at the same time deliver business performance impact for employers. And to be able to do all of that in a way that is cost-effective, scalable, and global. And that's what gave birth to generation. Um, and that's what the methodology is based on. So what we seek to do is to first pre-confirm job slots with employers. Then we create boot camps that are 4 to 12 weeks long. Yeah. We offer social support services in parallel. Uh, and then we, and then once our young people complete the program, they interview with our employer partners. And then once they're on the job, we measure the ROI. Yeah. Um, so productivity outcomes, quality outcomes, retention, speech promotion for our employers, and personal and financial well-being for our graduates. And we now have 21,000 graduates. We have 2,300 employer partners. And what we've been able to do is to also get employers to pay for this as well, which is often one of the big black boxes in the space, yeah. which is how do you get employees to contribute. So by the end of this year, we'll actually be 60% self-financing in terms of both employer money and government money, and we seek to expand that. And I think one of the things that has most struck me in this space is that people often equate training with employment. Yeah. And these are two very different things. Okay. <laughs> you know, training is literally only one of seven things that we do. And yeah. if all that we did is training, we would fail. Yeah. What are, what are some of the other things that just talk us through the, the seven elements, if you will? Yeah. I mean, so it very much begins with finding employers who have a pain point with regards to scarcity. You know, they, they want to hire 100 people in a given role, but they can only find 10. Okay. Or it could be about churn. You know, so at the three to six month point, you have some professions where you have 60% turnover at yeah. that point. Or there are other professions where there are massive productivity and quality variations. Um, so these are the employers where they're very keen to find an alternative way to recruit and train talent. And that's what we seek to provide. Um, so once we know which professions those are in a given geography, then we create boot camps that are four to 12 weeks long. And what we, what we focus on are activities. So what are the activities that will drive high performance? And then once we know those activities, then we work backwards into the skills. We offer social support services in parallel. And we do that because, you know, if you are hungry, if you have a child who's hungry, you can't focus on your learning. And then we then are actively creating bonds between our young people because this is now a new social circle that they're being lifted into. Then once they complete the program, they then interview with our employer partners. And then once they're on the job, we measure the ROI and we continue to have forums for our young people to stay together and support each other. So it's very much designed to be holistic. Yeah. And and your placement rates are quite quite impressive. They're in the 70s and 80%. So we have an 83% job placement rate and at the one year mark, 70% of our young people continue to be on the job. Okay. Now what what happens to to those that either don't place or 
or they fall out after the one year? So there are a couple of things. So for those who are not initially placed, um, we continue to try to figure out yeah. ways that we can. So it might take longer to place them beyond the initial three months, um, but we continue to, to seek to support them. Yeah. Um, and then we also find young people who, after trying something for six months, they've decided they want to try a different profession. And yeah. that's absolutely fine. You know, yeah. So we have... At any point in time, there are probably 10 plus percent of our young people who have moved on to a second job. In fact, there, there was one of our uh, generation colleagues, one of our graduates who had trained in a customer service job, um, and he had first worked in a retailer. And then one of my colleagues was checking in at, at, at an airline desk um, and found our graduate who was the person checking him in. You know, So he had actually moved from retail into airlines. So for, from our perspective, so long as our graduates are moving upwards or moving diagonally, that's absolutely fine and they earn two to six times an income what they were earning before generation and cumulatively they've been they've earned 70 million dollars to date are you targeting a particular demographic or this is a program that's potentially open to to anyone so we're targeting the population most in need in any given country. Yeah. So, for example, in Spain, where you have upwards of 40% youth unemployment, actually it's college degree holders and master degree holders who are most in pain. Yeah. And so we have a high share of those in our Spain program. Yeah. Whereas if you look at the U.S., um, it's actually secondary school degree holders yeah. or GED holders who are most challenged. So the actual learner profile might look different, but it's the, it's the segment that is hardest hit by yeah. youth unemployment in whichever country we're in. And the, the, the methodology is, is the same, or do you customize according to the demographic profile? Obviously, you customize according to the profession. employer needs the profession. But yeah, so we it's the exact same seven-part methodology for all of our programs. Yeah. Um, and to your point, we have 24 professions today. Yeah. So everything from robotics process automation to certified nurse assistant. So we customize by profession. Yeah. But for every profession uh, in a given geography, it's yeah. the exact same approach, irrespective of who is the segment. Now, what can alter is the social support service mix. So, for example, um, in Spain, as I mentioned, you know, so our learners are typically single, living at home with their parents, right? whereas in the U.S., 40% of our graduates are single parents. Yeah. And so the social support services that they require look different. So I, I have traditionally been somewhat skeptical of the argument that, you know, there are all these jobs out there, and, and if only we could upskill folks, then we can, we can place them. Um, obviously, you're, you're proving my, my skepticism to have been somewhat unfounded. And my skepticism was built off of an appreciation that if, if something was sort of profitable and made sense, economic sense, for the private sector, there would have been someone trying to deal with it, you know, and, and not sort of waiting for the education system to catch up. Why do you think it sort of took so long for something like this to sort of come into, into being? So a couple of thoughts. One is that if you look at employers today, you know, less than 10% of CEOs actually know what is the return on investment of their own recruitment and training programs. So forget youth employment, program, but just of yeah. their own recruitment and training. Across our 2,300 employer partners, very few will initially know what is the cost of attrition. 
Right? And so it's not that there is uh, a single cell in someone's spreadsheet that they yeah. can go to to actually say, here is the cost of how we recruit and train today. And so when you don't have that fact base, then you make very different decisions. And you think it's normal to have attrition of 60% at the six-month mark. And so what we're trying to demonstrate is that's actually not normal yeah. and that there is an alternative way yeah. and that if we think about what actually is the return on investment in terms of reducing the cost of recruitment and training, uh, improving the hit rate on recruitment yeah. in terms of quality outcomes and productivity outcomes, in terms of retention, then you think it's a completely different equation yeah. of what we should do in recruitment and training. So that's one part of it. The second part is often there are biases around alternative profiles. Yeah. So there might be in some professions an expectation that you must be a college degree holder to be able to do this profession well. But actually the reality is that if you are trained to excel in a certain set of activities, you don't actually yeah. need to have this degree or that degree. And so I think it's it's being able to measure the return on investment that fundamentally can create a fact base yeah. that enables business leaders to make very different decisions. And that's really what lies at the heart of generation. What's implied in what, you, what you've just said and also what you, what you said earlier about the profile of the, the students, should we say, the, the trainees, is that what's necessary is, is a fairly standard baseline of, of education. It seems that you can almost, am I right in thinking that you can take almost anyone with a high school diploma and then train them? Or are there, are you in any way selective in terms yeah, of who so, you admit into the program? Yeah, I think it's a really important question. And essentially, we have examples where we've taken young people in Florida who are homeless and living in their car and 10 weeks later are CompTIA certified and have a job as an IT help desk. Yeah. Right, we've been able to take someone who is a tourism graduate uh, in a college in Spain and over the span of seven weeks put her into a robotics process automation job where previously people thought you need to have a STEM background or an engineering background. You know, so it's it's these so these types of journeys happen every day in yeah. generation. That being said, what is absolutely critical is that our learners have a fire in the belly to improve their lives. Yeah. So if you are not motivated to change the trajectory of your life and that of your family, then a boot camp is not going to help you. Yeah. And so um, we are selective on that, yeah. on motivation. Typically, there are three types of uh, interview processes. You know, so the first is just the basics of literacy yeah. and numeracy. That's appropriate to the role. You know, so for example, for a certified nurse assistant, you have to have sixth grade literacy and numeracy. For IT help desk, you have to be at tenth grade literacy and numeracy. So yeah. there is that. Then it's about the intrinsics of whether, when you go into healthcare, do you have empathy? Yeah. Yeah. But ultimately, what drives this is whether you have motivation. And it doesn't matter if you have a college degree or if you have a secondary school diploma. You have to have motivation to succeed. I suppose you, you do, though, by providing the, the sort of social support services, you do provide 
I guess, some incentives for people to, I guess, dig deep and find that motivation? It's, um, we, have, we offer mentors, um, yeah. and our mentor our mentorship starts during the boot camp, and it continues for the first six yeah. months on the job, because that's the period of greatest vulnerability. If we can get our young people past the first six months, then they can skyrocket. And so part of it is uh, helping to support them with a different social circle of peers who all want the same types of things, yeah. and that's hugely empowering. And then the second is also to support them to have stability in their day-to-day lives so that they can excel professionally. Yeah. You know, if, if you're couch surfing and or you can't feed your child, then you're not going to be on your game in your job yeah. or in your learning. And so uh, that's a very important <laughs> part of the blues that they have the foundation to really strive. It seems from the, the discussion that we're having that you're actually adding value to the significant value to the employers in this case by you know, in, in a sense, creating a more efficient training and even even sort of retention, arguably, system for them. What was the motivation in creating this as a not-for-profit rather than, than as a sort of business service? Fundamentally, what we want to be able to do is to support young people of a variety of backgrounds yeah. to thrive. And when you look across the many different professions... There are, you know, those that today, these professions are 100% self-financing and others that might be 50% self-financing and the rest is catalytic philanthropy. We very much wanted to be able to support across the board. And so that's where the notion of creating it as a nonprofit. We also, you know, because we don't want there to be a barrier for a young person to access our programs. And we don't want to shift our learner profile such that it is something that is viable only in a for-profit environment. Um, But more broadly, we also just want to be able to share what we do with our partners. We have 75 implementation partners, and it's often, it's much more straightforward to partner as a nonprofit than it can be for a for-profit organization. And that's just essentially the mission that we have. We're trying to crack a problem and support as many organizations globally to be able to do the same. Now, again, from the discussion we've been having, it sounds to me a little bit like you're operating a little bit outside the education system. Do you have any thoughts in terms of, or do you collaborate with educational institutions? How, how does the education system feature into, into what you're trying to do? Uh, if you look at where the workforce resources are, be they people or money, it is all inside the TBET system, so the technical vocational education and yeah. training systems. And so we do very much embed inside. Uh, you know, so generation is a methodology. Yeah. We can embed inside nonprofits. We can embed inside public or private training institutions. We can embed inside employers. So, for example, in both India and in Kenya, we have embedded inside public TBETs. Okay. And that is a really important model for us to grow and expand. Um, and or in the U.S., we've embedded inside community colleges. So for us, just from a mission perspective, if yeah. we are going to move the needle, we have to be able to alter the way public provision is conducted today. And that's very much part of our goal. And how, how responsive have these, these organizations been? Do you find that they're they're able to quickly adopt what you're proposing and, and sort of deliver something to scale? For an organization to want to engage with generation, they have to have an outcomes orientation. So they're looking to improve their employment 
rates and their retention rates. They're looking to improve their cost effectiveness and so on. And that's true irrespective of it's a public, private, or social institution. And so we are very much seeking to figure out how can we, so we have 75 implementation partners today, how we can even more rapidly support an institution. So for example, over a six-month period, be able to adopt all of the dimensions of generation. And that's a continuous goal for us. You know, one argument might be that you're actually potentially cannibalizing some of these these colleges in the sense that if you can deliver a, a sort of employment-ready person in 12 weeks versus the sort of more typical one to two years, there's no pushback on that. I mean, there's, there's no deans or, or others kind of looking at you guys and saying, well, you know, you're taking too many shortcuts. This isn't the way the way it's done. So our, our goal is to do it in partnership with, yeah. right? You know, so for example, um, when we're working with public education <laughs> institutions, um, there have been times when our graduates get credit, like actual, you know, community college credit yeah. for doing generation. And our, so our goal is to integrate it with the system. Yeah. We have situations where, you know, for, let's say for a certain profession, you've had, you know, there are generation classrooms side by side, non-generation classrooms for the same profession. Initially, but then it's actually (laughs) rolled out across all the classrooms for that profession. And that's the goal. It's to demonstrate that there is a different way, but for that public or private training institution to deliver it as opposed to it being a competitor. Yeah, so there's enough sort of alignment of incentives there that you're adding value to them as well. You know, and arguably in an environment where the job market is changing quite rapidly, this is the sort of solution that's going to be necessary where you can just take someone put them in a boot camp for, as you say, up to 12 weeks, and then they come out and they're ready to take on a new challenge. I mean, I think particularly with automation and digitization, which we are all seeing, you know, there have been many reports now that have shown that, uh, you know, anywhere from 30 to 40 percent of existing professions are changing. Yeah. um, Just in terms of the day-to-day job tasks. And so the pace of change not just for new professions coming up, but for existing professions, and you know whether you call it upskilling or reskilling, um, this is now a feature of our lives. And so, how to very rapidly achieve mastery yeah. of a new set of skills and activities is something that we are increasingly going to see. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we've done in generation is that we've introduced a variation that we call regeneration. And regeneration is actually focused on an older age bracket who have lost their jobs due to automation or digitization. And so they need to reskill for different jobs in their community. Um, And so we're using the same core generation methodology. We've altered some of the social support services, but the goal is how to, irrespective of which learner segment, how to very rapidly take you from point A to point B so that you can then get a job and be financially independent. Presumably, you're collecting a significant amount of data through this process. What are your plans in terms of what you you want to do with that data? Is it sort of open source that, that can be made available to other institutions? So the types of data which we gather is everything from the learner profile when they're as they're applying yeah. 
to the performance in the boot camp to the performance on the job. And then things like personal and financial well-being. You know, so we also have surveys where we ask our young people about their degree of optimism for their future, you know, before the boot camp, after, et cetera. And so we do this at three months, six months, nine months, et cetera. And our, our goal is actually to track our young people, at least a sample of them for multiple years. So, and we have this data then, you know, across countries. Um, and so we, I mean, first of all, um, the way that we use the data today is to improve the program itself. So for example, um, one of our early findings is that if and when we find that one of our graduates is starting to slip, we will have less than 72 hours to save them. which requires a very rapid feedback loop. And it then resulted in us trying to understand, well, which which of our young people might be more at risk or less at risk so that we can seek to be more proactive. And yeah. you know, so that's that's an example of how we use it internally to be able yeah. to improve what we do. Um, we are also working with third parties to uh, support us in doing independent evaluation of our program effectiveness. And, and then we also have you know articles which we publish which share some of this data. Yeah. Ultimately, we would be very keen to find ways to share this data and to have other researchers be able to identify other patterns and connections. Yeah. I think we just need to get the data collectively to a certain volume in yeah. order to, to be able to, to truly enable that. But um, I think we're very mindful that it's a very rich and unique data set. There's a lot of people out there now sort of concerned that we may be entering a sort of a post-work world mm-hmm. where AI automation is going to be so good at doing a number of, of, of things that were in the past the preservative of humans. Yeah. Um, and these aren't necessarily <laughs> just the, um, the driving cars, but I mean, even things like radiology. <clears throat> there are algorithms now that are significantly better than trained radiologists yeah. spotting cancers. What are your thoughts about this possibility? I mean, like I was saying earlier, I mean, it's, it's <clears throat> very clear that existing professions and the job tasks associated with yeah. them are shifting considerably, you know, and 40% or thereabouts is yeah. typically what we see. So there are a couple of things. I mean, one is how do you upskill and reskill those that are incumbent workers? How do you very rapidly figure out what are the new professions that are going to arise? Yeah. And then how do you support the population that is today doing the activities that are being displaced, right? Yeah. And, you know, and probably about 10% plus of professions will diminish considerably as a result. Yeah. And so, I mean, first and foremost, I think the world is still trying to figure this out. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that this will be the journey over the next decade, two decades, um, yeah. in figuring out how to deal with each of those three. I think for generation we are very mindful of which professions are more at risk. Yeah. You know, there is no profession that's not at risk, but yeah. it's which ones are more at risk. Yeah. Um, and we are, we've also been considering maybe we'll be offering a generation bridge in the future, which um, depending on how job trajectories go with different professions, that we bring people back in, reskill them, and then support them, either for incumbent roles or for the next profession. But this is a huge question for the entire world. But it sounds to me, though, that you're still expecting at least, and you're probably right, I mean, in the foreseeable future, there will still be jobs out there that only humans can can do. And we're not quite at the point where, you know, AI can just do everything better. 
Well, Mona, thank you very much for uh, spending time with us and, and sharing your wise words. Thank you. Well, that was Muna Murshid, CEO and President of Generation. Did you learn something new today? Perhaps about the effects of youth unemployment or how education to employment programs can be effective? We hope you did. Please subscribe to our podcast if you enjoyed it and send us any questions or requests you may have for future episodes to our email, which you can also find in the show notes. We really appreciate it. See you next time. Bye for now. Bye for now.